Welcome to another edition of the Ultimate Weigh-In Show. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over UFC Vegas 63, headlined by a featherweight matchup between Calvin Cater and Arnold Allen. The weigh-ins just wrapped up at about a half hour ago. A couple guys had us waiting. I believe there was only one official wait miss on the entire card. A couple guys looking a little bit sucked or a little bit dry. But what do you expect? They're cutting weight for the last 24 hours or so. But we'll see if me or my guests could have spotted anything that might have maybe swayed our pick a little bit or if we're standing firm with the selections that we made earlier this week as well. So without further ado, let me bring in my guest that I'm going to be having for the show. First time on the show, but I know he's been deserving it for a while now. The guy's been grinding the YouTube game as well, and he's been creating a fan base of his own. I can't wait to introduce him to my own fan base now, and hopefully you guys can jump onto his as well. We got my guy Patrick from Addicted to Combat. You guys can follow him at Combat Addict one on Twitter. Patrick, what is going on, my dog? Man, pre good to finally break down fights with you, man. I've been watching your show for a while, ever since the other channel when you were doing panels with uh, Bleed and Guru hey, and uh, Clint Of course, your boy CJ as well. Yeah, great <laughs> time. So I've been following your work for a while, man, and always a big fan. So let's get into it, man. Hell yeah, man. I, I was very happy uh, to, to to see you in the live chat and all that stuff and be like, you know what? This guy fucking deserves it. And I'm glad to have finally lined something up with you here. But before we actually break down the fights, I want to get your perspective from a fan's point of view, because that's what we all started off as, right? We didn't just jump into the MMA right. world as degenerate gamblers that we are now, but obviously you are a fan. Uh, so from a fan's perspective, what fight are you looking forward to most on this card? What are you thinking? Obviously, whenever Calvin Cater gets into a five-round featherweight bout, man, it's always fun. It's been fireworks every time he's done it so far. Um, otherwise, the Phil Haas-Roman Delizze fight, I think I'm really mm. into that one, too. That's a, a fight that I think could go either way, and we'll definitely break into that one in some detail. But that's a fight at middleweight I like. Two savages there, and it's got the potential to be exciting. I'm very excited to hear your thoughts on that one because honestly, that is the one that I can like least get a, a side on that I'm very much convicted about. So I'm hoping that you have something that the fans can go off here. Uh, shout out to my guy, SD Crusader, saying RIP odds. Yes, odds.com was the place to be. Great time. Especially Friday nights. Uh, me, Cody, uh, Bleed, and Prediction Guru obviously coming together every 9 p.m on fight week so it was a awesome time uh, obviously the prop new up show was started over there as well i'll always keep them in my thoughts all right let's get right into the card patrick we're gonna alternate in terms of who starts it off i'll kick right. off this first one that we got it's between christian rodriguez who was one of the guys that made us wait all the way pretty much until the end he weighs in at 136 pounds he needed the box of shame but that's kind of been the you know storyline of his career especially when he competed on the contender series last season or two seasons ago now uh and he missed weight but he won his fight and it was like you gotta make weight unless your name is Jake Hadley. You got you got to make weight when you fight on the contender series. Otherwise, you're not going to get a contract. He goes out there, gets another win, eventually gets called back to the UFC um, for a tough debut. But on the flip side of his opponent, we got Joshua Weems, former contender series alum as well. Uh, he's coming in at plus 310, minus 380 on Christian Rodriguez. I, I've been pumped about Christian since he made uh, the, the jump here, man. He obviously had a very tough out in his UFC debut, coming in on short notice up 
a weight class against a beast like JSP Jonathan Pierce. Uh, came up short that night, but man, was he fighting like he needed to win that fight. Uh, he made it very difficult for Jonathan Pierce to really establish much uh, you know, legitimate control. Like Statistics say he controlled that fight for 11 minutes. He looks like he was struggling every minute of mm -hmm. that fight to control that fight because Christian was very active in terms of getting back to his feet, uh, getting back into uh, you know more com comfortable positions for himself. But where he does his best work, you see in the striking count, especially in that fight, right? He outstruck GSP in terms of significant strikes because he is that good of a striker. Like He's very good with his combinations, moves very well, footwork is great, striking defense looks good to me as well. When he's not fighting guys that are towering over him, his takedown defense looks very good as well. Um, I like everything that this kid has. I don't know if I'm just too high on him, but I feel like this kid has top five to seven potential if he continues to get groomed out and, and you know, continues to get comfortable at the new training camp he's with, uh, which is Fight Ready MMA. Funny thing about Fight Ready MMA, that was actually his, uh, the, the camp he was going against in his last two out of three fights. Obviously on the contender series against Reyes Cortez, he fought them as well against GSP and then decided... Rufus Sport is no more. Let's go on down to Fight Ready because they seem to know what they're doing, and I absolutely agree with him. So I can't wait to see how they are able to groom him and, and progress his skills and uh, see if he can achieve the potential I believe he has. Joshua Weems, I feel like he's that guy that's going to come in, go 0-2, 3 in the UFC. Like He doesn't really seem to have much. He has some decent leg kicks. Uh, his jiu-jitsu off of his back seems to be solid but i don't know what it's going to look like when he's fighting you know legit guys guys that actually won't get tapped from a guy in their full guard right it's not often we see that in mma unless you're going up against paul craig or something like that um yeah uh, weems has some good power but I, I feel like he can get dinged up here by uh christian rodriguez and i think rodriguez likely finishes him as well so uh, i haven't bet it yet i was waiting for the line to drop on some more books before i tipped it but i'm looking at rodriguez inside the distance I want to see, uh, you know, I, I haven't looked at my books yet. I saw my guy Clint actually betted uh, three units at plus 100. Like I'm considering going one to two units myself if I can get plus 100 as well. This seems like a layup spot for Rodriguez. Hopefully he can get it done. We'll see how that goes. Patrick, are you sharing the same sentiments with me? Am I jerking off Christian Rodriguez a little bit too much here? Or uh, do you think that he is the truth as well? And you, how much of a chance do you give Weems as well? I mean, maybe jerking him off a little bit. I mean, he's, you know, a little unproven, but he looks like he's got the goods. He's very comfortable in there, too, and always fighting for your dollar, um, which is why he's now, what, close to minus 400 on the money line as well. He did make a sweat for the weigh-ins. They had to get that box of shame for him, and uh, he still made weight, but his opponent did not on very short notice for Weems, and Weems has been finished in both of his, uh, knocked out in both of his losses, so... You know, I, you could go the, the KO route, but inside the distance at even money is a very good play for Rodriguez here. I like that one a lot. Um, just because you saw with the JSP fight, he had all the control time from the bottom, was actually going for a very tight guillotine in the beginning of that fight, even switching uh, to armbar attempts at certain points. So he's always fighting no matter what position he's in for your dollar. So I am parlaying him with the main event as well. So uh, we'll get into which fighter on the main event that is. But yeah, C-Rod is one of my most confident picks on this card. Um, he made a sweat though. Again, like you, you've got money on somebody's parlay, and then they got to bring out the box of shame. But at least he made weight. He didn't look terrible, you know. So what are you gonna do? But I think he wins. 
Yeah, like I, I really hope he gets it down because you know it must have been like a close cut for him and essentially to to want to have the the box of shame and obviously coming down to the dying minutes of the weigh-in window as well. So yeah. we'll, we'll see if he can kind of get that under wraps. Obviously, it's been a, a storyline of his career, which is why he wasn't already in the UFC, but we'll see uh, going forward. But this is a layup like me and Patrick think. Go ahead and parlay up Christian Rodriguez, boys. I don't think he lets us down. All right, let's get to this next matchup. It is a flyweight matchup with another short notice step in. We got Carlos Mota, who's coming in as the minus 170 favorite, plus 145 the return on Cody Durden. Now, this is what a professional looks like, Patrick, a guy who takes a fight on short notice. Yes, and yes. I don't even think we really talk about the fact that Joshua Williams missed weight. But yes, he did miss weight. He was the only guy that missed weight. But a guy like Carlos Mota, a guy that is ready 24-7, ready to take any fight at any time, especially with how much he has been puffing his chest on social media over the last uh, year, maybe two years, you'd expect him to go in there like a professional and make weight. What are your thoughts on this flyweight matchup and who do you think gets their hand raised? You know, I like Carlos Mota a lot. I just came off of uh, betting him in the LFA against uh, Rizvan Abuev, and he got a very easy knockout, you know, deaded, deaded Abuev with that left hook that just flatlined him. So he's got that undeniable power, unbelievable power for this weight class, too. You're not used to seeing guys with that one-hit knockout power. But uh, his get-up game is good off the ground, too. You saw him uh, have some pretty good scrambles against Charles Johnson, at least early in the fight, until he gassed out and eventually got laid out in round five, kind of like one of those TKOs that was due to fatigue as well as the strikes of Johnson. So, you know, Mota's been in some big spots. He's been five rounds before. I like him in this fight against Cody Durden. The line is okay. The line's playable, right? There might be a little extra value on that just because I think Mota is that well-rounded and that much of a step above in the stand-up. Now, Cody Durden could come in here and just wrestle him from the get-go, right? But I think Durden's going to test his striking until it goes poorly for him. Then in round two, if he's got to mix it up and go relentless for those takedowns, you know, I think he might go that route. I don't think he just comes out of the gate. Cody Durden starts wrestling right off the bat. Probably test his striking a bit. We'll get some points on the board for Moda. And Durden, even though he's like one of these wrestle boxer guys, he's not the best at holding opponents down. So I don't think it's too much of a threat. I think Carlos Mota is playable. What's the odds at on this one? Has it moved up at all? I saw like minus 170. Yeah, that's what I'm. Moda. That's uh, at least uh, according to bet on or uh, best fight odds. Uh, the best yeah, one you can that. get is minus one sixty plus one forty. Yeah, I would play that because he looked decent on the scales. He looks ready to go, and uh, it is a short notice turnaround. But he had a very you know short fight back in August against uh, Rizvan Abuev. You know, probably just hurt his hand a little bit, bounced enough to job <laughs> that guy, if anything. So he should be good to go. He looked really confident on the scales and excited to be in the UFC at long last. Yeah, this guy has been, uh, you know, shouting from the rooftops that he deserves to be in the UFC. And although he had that slip up against Charles Johnson, it was a great fight. It was a back and forth fight. It was a fight of the year contender, essentially. Uh, and fighting at that pace, I don't blame him for slowing down the way that he did. Luckily for him, he only has three rounds here against uh, Cody Durden. And I'm sure, you know, just based off the Durden and Orichi Lang fight, we kind of know that this might be a, a little bit of a slugfest, a little bit of a war. But I feel like Mota, you know, with his BJJ black belt, with his ability to kind of scramble and get back to his feet, mixed in with the fact that Durden really isn't the greatest in terms of controlling his guys on the mat. Uh, this will likely play out on the feet more often than not. And I think that Durden, Durden may think he stands a little bit more of a chance there because, you know, obviously got a knockout on the feet in his last fight or his last one against JP Bays. Maybe that gives him some confidence, but I think, um, 
<clears throat> I think that would be ill-advised. I think that would be very much ill-advised against a guy like uh, Carlos Malta who can crack like him with the speed that he has, with the combinations in which he throws. Uh, I like that minus 170 line as well. Shout out to the 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 line vultures out there just waiting for lines to drop because you would have gotten uh, Carlos Malta closer to plus 125 had you been just waiting on so, better yeah, line. I, and waiting I was waiting for it. I didn't even see that. So <laughs> Plus Jeez. 125. Shout out to my guy, Brennan Olivas, who like jumped on that almost immediately. Um, but yeah, no, I, I like Mota in the spot. I think the line is perfect as well. Uh, I don't really care about the fact that it's short notice because, like I said earlier, this guy's ready to go pretty much at any time. And the fact that he made weight with no issue lets you know that as well. All right, let's get to this next matchup. It's a featherweight belt between Chase Hooper and Steve Garcia in terms of odds. We got minus 295 now on the young gun Chase Hooper and plus 245 on Steve Garcia. I've been trying to figure out a way this week whether I should have taken the underdog money on Steve Garcia. But after you run the tape and see the trouble that this guy gets himself into, it's tough to, to even come to terms to you know playing him at plus 245, plus 250. Uh, Chase Hooper, although still young, although still has some work to do, in terms of his striking, should be able to get to the positions he needs to here, specifically the back of Steve Garcia. You know, when, when he shoots double legs, when he goes for takedowns, he does a very good job and not in terms of not letting or not giving up. You know, I mean, he 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 circles to the back pretty efficiently, especially when we can get this uh, fight up against the cage. And uh, I think from there, we can see him either hop on the back of Steve Garcia, drag this fight to the ground, pull guard if he needs to. But I'm pretty certain that he'll be able to get this into the grappling room. And honestly, I think he could actually find the finish too. Um, I was eyeing that uh, Chase Hooper via sub prop. Uh, I saw it open up at plus 250. Um, let's see where it's sitting at now. Wow. Uh, plus 140, plus 170, anything around that range or between that range. That's what you can get. Hooper at submission right now. I don't mind that. You know, I really don't. I think that's his uh, path to victory here. Likely his best path to victory as well. And, uh, you know, Steve Garcia has some big power in his hands. Decent striking. Conventionally speaking, I think his takedown defense is not that bad. It's just when he gets tangled up in those clinch positions and in those scrambles, that's where I think he kind of loses a step. And that's where Chase Hooper will likely be a step or even two ahead of him as well. So uh, I like Chase here. I like uh, I like Chase by sub. I'm not touching that money line myself, but uh, I'm likely going to be eyeing that finish prop or that submission prop myself. What about yourself, Patrick? Do you think Steve has what it takes to pull off the upset or you go on the young gun as well? I think the unders are uh, interesting in this spot too because um, Steve Garcia, I would imagine he's not going to win a decision here. I'd imagine it would have to be some sort of early knockout maybe or just some flash KO potential from him, uh, from Chase Hooper, you know, screwing up with some tall man defense. But Hooper looked great in his last fight. Uh, even if the striking wasn't elite, it was at least more comfortable, right? He seemed less hesitant to let his hands go and his kicks go. And yeah, Chase Hooper has that weird tall man um you know, ability to go in range very quickly and close the distance, clinch up with you, and then eventually get you to the ground. And even if he has to do it off the clinch on the cage and just jump on your back, be a backpack, like a giant white Aljamain Sterling, he can do that. You know what I mean? So, um, and you're not going to lose minutes there. So I think he could, I think more than likely you're right. He gets this done inside the distance. It could be one of those spots where even that plus 500 Chase Hooper knockout is interesting here because last fight, He'll get that body lock triangle on you, and you're going to roll to avoid the choke. Then you're getting punches rained down on your face, and you roll back. Maybe it's a submission, you know? So sometimes just the inside the distance is better not to choose a side there, you know? Uh, you'll be slapping yourself if you had one of those, and he gets the opposite. But I think Chase Hooper wins this fight. Steve Garcia, I mean, 
the Lewis Pena fight was just embarrassing, right? To get controlled that much. That would not bode him well against Chase Hooper. He did have the Ontiveros win, but it's Ontiveros. You kind of expect that. And uh, now getting knocked out pretty badly by Mahashate back in June, that was. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where you go with Steve Garcia from here. I think he's getting a loss this weekend. Yeah, he might uh, He might not be in the UFC after this weekend, let's be honest, especially with the tough run that he would have been on after yeah. that. Um, I love the Aljamain Sterling comparison because it's true. Like, I, honestly, it's the first yeah. time I've ever heard it, but it is fucking true. Like, they pretty much fight similarly. I, you know, maybe Aljamain Sterling is a little bit more uh, deadly and threatening when he is able to get an opponent's back, but they still have that that level of threat, per se, uh, yeah. when they are able to get fights into the grappling position. So, yeah, I, I like it. Chase Super hopefully gets the dub here and hopefully inside the distance, too. And he seems right. to have, like, some sort of uh, durability quality to him, too. You know? Well, he it's can... the young man thing, right? Yeah. I, the fact that he hasn't really taken much damage. Like, he can eat those shots and... Yes, of course, I think he could eventually get knocked out, but I think he has that going for him, uh, essentially, where he hasn't really been flatlined in the past. Yes, he's taken some beatings, but he hasn't really gone out, out. And, and he's got that fighter knows. grit to him, right, where he can take that beating, lose round one and two, and then yeah. come back in round three and still Peter Barrett keep, fight. Yeah, keep his head in the game, you know what I mean? So I, I like that about him. There we go. All right, let's get to this next matchup. It is a middleweight belt between Joseph Uglyman Holmes and Jun Young Park. In terms of odds, we got some chalk here, but a little bit of action actually coming in on the underdog. Minus 215 now on Jun Young Park, plus 185, the return on Uglyman Joel Holmes. Patrick, I'll let you kick this one off, my man. What do you think of between these middleweights? Does uh, Joseph Holmes pull off the upset, or does the Iron Turtle do Iron Turtle things here? Man, first off, just pointing out the money lines for this week. They've been very strange. We're like, when I do my full card breakdown on Sunday or Monday, and even my tape study, you know, like last week, some of these lines, I'm like, I don't want to touch some of these lines. But now they've come back and they're playable like the day before the fight. You know, how often does that happen? Because I do like the Junyun Park side of things here. I think he's way better on the inside with his boxing. Um, sometimes his cardio looks hit or miss, but I think it is decent in this spot. And he's got all the experience. He's so proven in the UFC. And Joseph Holmes is a guy where, even though he's got all of those physical abilities, like the uh, every advantage you'd want at middleweight, right? He's got the long reach, the long, uh, you know, the big height, kind of like Jamie Pickett, who he lost to, right? These guys should be beasts at this weight class, and they just yeah. fall short. So, uh, yeah, I think Junyun Park does have a very well-rounded game in this spot, and I think he gets the job done here. I think he answers with more volume. Every one punch that, uh, you know, Holmes is going to attempt, I think Junyun Park is going to be very slick as the shorter man here, get on the inside, box him up get back out of range and then maybe work the clinch uh, game as well so give me junior park and that minus what is that now minus 215 you said that is yeah i saw very, that is very playable i'd be confident in that one yeah, I'm glad that we shared the same sentiments here. I'm I'm big on Park myself here. I really think that Holmes, for a long time in his career, has just gotten off on his physical traits. The fact that he's big, he's strong, he is, he's athletic to a certain extent, that's only going to work against a certain level of competition. The, the Alan Amadovskis of the world, right? He's going to be able to beat those guys. The Jonathan Patties of the world, he's going to be able to beat those guys. But when he jumps into against a, a guy who can match the physicality, like he did against J.B. Pickett, something that you talked about already, that's where he starts to fall short um when he starts to jump in against guys that are much more skilled than him and even if he does have that physicality advantage over those guys i think he's going to fall short and tomorrow will be a perfect example of that where he is a little bit towering over junior park but i think that park has that you know th that advantage when it comes to the boxing like you're saying when it comes to the grappling when it comes to the overall game 
Like, I think he can really put that pace and pressure on a guy like jo- Joseph Holmes and possibly get him out of their lake. Uh, I don't think he has a finish in the UFC right now, but he was, you know, I think he had uh, a total of eight finishes or seven finishes total before coming to the UFC. The guy can finish depending on the level of competition he's going up against. And some people have kind of laughed at the fact that he wasn't able to finish a guy like uh, John, uh, John Phillips, but like right. Phillips is a tough, rugged dude, right? Tough to get out, especially with the way that park fights, but Holmes, I feel like this guy will slow down once he starts to feel that resistance. Once he starts to feel that, Oh, this might not be a fight that I'm going to win. I think once he feels that we'll see Junior park really take it to another level, drag him to the ground, possibly finish him with some ground and pound. But I like that plus 200 on Park to finish inside the distance. Uh, But I I really don't mind the chalk here either. I personally got in at minus 225 earlier this week. Uh, I was more than happy with that line. I think there is a huge skill discrepancy here. And I think the Iron Turtle comes out on top, gets that dub, and uh, hopefully takes a no, a legit step up in competition. He this this was a step back if we're being honest, right? He fought Eric Anders last time around. Mm-hmm. There's no way Eric Anders, who another guy similarly gets away with his physical attributes and all that. Uh, Junior Park, sketchy decision. Say what you want about that. He still went out there and got the win. Uh, yeah, glad that we're both on the. My only worry team. about uh, Junior Park is he seems to be one of these guys where sometimes he'll fight to the rhythm of his opponent. If it's a low volume paced fight like Eric Anders. He'll be very low volume, barely win the fight. If it's like a RoboCop Rodriguez where he wants to get in there and mix it up, he'll answer and it'll be an exciting fight. So I think it really depends on how Joseph Holmes fights to see where Junior Park uh, wins decisively or not. You know what I mean? Because it could be a very slow paced fight. Yeah, after Joseph Holmes' first loss against Jamie Pickett, the first thing that he said was, I will never let cardio fail me again. Well, we're going to find out tomorrow whether cardio will fail you or not because Iron Turtle will definitely uh, gas you out if, if, if he can take you there. Um, all right, let's get to this next matchup. Let's talk about a heavyweight fight between veterans. Andre Arlovsky, who's coming in as a plus 205 underdog. The return on the favorite Marcos Hajirio de Lima. Uh, we got minus 245. Now, whenever you give me Andre Arlovsky at like this good of a number against a middle tier heavyweight, you bet your ass I'm going to be do- jumping on that line. Like that, there is no way I shouldn't, right? The Blagoy Evenoff fight is a perfect example of how Andre Arlovsky could be successful in this matchup. Yes, Hajirio de Lima will likely win the first round off of just raw power alone, right? Like he would throw three, four uh, punch combinations nations all with just fight ending power on every single one of those but i feel like he's going to struggle to actually catch andre Lofsky, who does a good job in terms of his movement from the outside range whereas blagoy Ivanov is just fine just staying in the pocket and eating those shots and saying what do you what do you have left my man like i don't think that that's going to work for Arlovsky. Arlovsky needs to stay on his bicycle uh use his style just you know even if it's just moving backwards and then just waiting to eventually spring forward with a couple shots that will help him a lot in this matchup um he will likely lose the first round but even if he doesn't you're going to be kicking yourself if you're just waiting for a live betting opportunity on Lovsky here because he could maybe win that first round it's possible but uh yeah i think he could outstrike delima here obviously the durability is always a question mark he's eaten some pretty big shots over this uh, six and one run that he's currently on and he's been moving forward delima obviously throws maybe a little bit more sting than some of his past opponents but i think that we'll see arlovsky traverse the cage well here roll with some of the shots get out of the way of most of those and then really start to pull away later on in this fight um the one concern I do have, I wonder how it's going to look if DeLima looks to get this fight to the ground. Because 
we haven't seen too much of Arlovsky on the ground, right? My big concern is the fact that he gave up such an easy rear naked choke to Tom Aspinall in that matchup. Didn't even fight it. As soon as the guy was under his chin, he just tapped. Like, did not even fight. The guy didn't have, didn't even have hooks in or anything like that. Yeah, he was That's still like rubbing concern. that sand out of his eyes, waking up for that round. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. But like, it was, it was, uh, it was weird to see regardless um, I, I still think he has a ton of value at plus 200 here. He's a reliable heavyweight. You know what you're going to get out of him. He's always going to make fights close, especially if they go the full 15 minutes. That's what I'm thinking we're going to get here. I took the money line plus 200. I just seeing that it's getting better right now. Kind of surprised that it's still getting better, but is what it is. Give me Arlovsky plus 200. Win by decision, not bad either. Patrick, what are you thinking here? Value or are you thinking Delima just starts as this cat? I can't believe we're on another agreement here. I like Andre Arlovsky a lot in this spot, man. And I, I fell for it. I took it at plus 190, thinking that would be the best wow. we would get. I thought I was, you know, robbing the bank with that one. And now it's, I saw one book at like plus 220 at a certain point too. It's peaking yeah. at, so insane. You know, I think you broke it down very well. Mark, Marcos Hojiri de Lima, you know, not one of the, he, he's oversized. He's got a little spare, you know. You know, a little spare weight. Former two hundred fiver, and now he's yeah, weighing exactly. in at two sixty. <laughs> but he's not like the he's not the most un- unathletic, fattest yeah, heavyweight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Andre Olavsky's run circles around some of these younger, chubbier guys <laughs> lately, and he's you know just giving him veteran lessons. The guy's been in yeah. the UFC thirty eight times, thirty eight times, way more than any other heavyweight has ever lasted. I think the next guy is like Frank Mir with like twenty five, twenty seven, wow. something like that. So yeah, he, he's got an insane longevity, and his boxing is very, very good. He throws in combinations can kind of lull you into a slow rhythm and pressure forward with nice combinations, then get out of range. So um, I think it's going to be danger for Arlovsky very early in this fight when Hojiri Delima is able to get that knockout on him, or it'll be dangerous late because Arlovsky's cardio is kind of failing him in some spots by round three. He's sometimes a little bit slower. Um, and, you know, Rogier Delima just weighed in at what, like 260 pounds, you know? Yeah. So he's got 25 pounds on him and he can cage stall. He can lean on him. And Arlovsky could get trapped in that clinch position on the cage and just lose a very boring round that way. So I think it's dangerous early, dangerous late when the cardio is failing both guys. But in the middle, you know, if uh, he, if Arlovsky can outbox in the end of round one, the majority of round two, he could win another greasy 29-28. So I like Arlovsky. I like him. The money line is good enough. But to win by decision, like he's done his past 10 victories, um, decisions like 275 plus 300. And I like the split decision, which I saw at plus 1,100, even wow. plus 1,300. Because he's had a lot of splits in his last, like, 24 fights uh, in this second stint of the UFC. He's been in five split decisions, and two of those are his last couple of fights. So, yeah, yeah, his last two were splits. Give Marilowski by split decision. Take some damage early, win the meat of the <laughs> fight, and then lose, like, lose like the, the position on the cage in the last few seconds. One judge sees it for Hojiri Delima. The other two see it for Arlovsky. There we are. Well, hopefully I don't have to sweat too much to cash my Arlovsky <laughs> ticket, but I'll take a split decision nonetheless. Just to give you guys a peek into how uh, you know how historical and how iconic Andre Arlovsky is in the UFC, he owns seven heavyweight records. Let me just quickly go through those for you guys. <clears throat> Total fights, he has 38. Closest second, like Patrick said, was Frank Muir at 27. Uh, 23 heavyweight wins. Number two is Derek Lewis at 17. Uh, most decision wins, 12. He doubles up second place. Marching Tabura is six in second place, but Andre Arlovsky has 12. Uh, I got another one here. Mo- total fight time for heavyweights. He outlasts, <laughs> holy crap. Uh, so second place has four hours and seven minutes. That's Junior Dos Santos. Andre Arlovsky has six hours and nine minutes. He has two <laughs> full hours over second place there. 
Uh, a couple more stats here for you guys real quick. Most significant strikes landed. Andre Arlovsky, 1,427 significant strikes. That's 300 more than second place, which is, again, Junior Dos Santos. And I believe this is the last one I have here. Uh, where did it go? Oh, that was the last one. I apologize. Or oh, sorry, total strikes landed. He landed seventeen hundred. Uh, the the one before that was total significant strikes. So, the guy likes to fight a lot. If you can't tell, and he can punch it, you a lot it. too. I could listen to those stats all day long on these OG guys in the UFC. Man, that's awesome. Let's go. All right, let's get to this next matchup, and it is the prelim headliner. And luckily enough, Patrick, it actually falls on you to start this one off. We got Roman Delize. It's the one that you were looking forward to as well. Plus yeah. one fifty. Minus one seventy five on Phil Haas. Uh, yeah, I, I I can't I can't put my finger on this matchup, Patrick. Show me the way. What are you thinking here? God, I got I got a weird take in this one. I like the lead say in this spot, not by very much. I think it's dicey, but I, I kind of favor the lead say as the underdog in this matchup. Um, I just like a lot of attributes about him, man. I mean, not only is Phil Haas, you know, like a former D one guy, but I think Roman Delizzi is going to have that size and strength in the grappling if it goes that way. So Phil Hawes can't rely on the takedowns to bail himself out of, you know, a bad situation like he's known to do. We see Delizzi fighting, you know, a number of different ways, right? It could be slow and boring, like against Staropoli. He's okay with winning a decision that way. Um, you know, his last fight was super exciting, getting that knockout in the clinch on Kyle Dalkus. So he's got the power that he came into the UFC kind of touting, right? He was kind of a finisher before, you know, having some boring fights in the UFC, but... His fight IQ is bad, but so is Phil Hawes at times, you know. So I I'm taking the guy who's got the size and uh, is not afraid to really just stall this out in the cage. I think Phil Hawes, his cardio is still in question to me, you know. So whenever he goes for those um, really fast starts, whether it's with the strikes or the wrestling, he always finds a way to blow it. Like, remember that uh, crazy knockout he took against Julian Marquez? Contender um, series. The, the contender series, yeah. I mean, flatlined, right? Um, every time this guy loses, he's getting finished, and he usually starts off winning the fight until he – loses it badly so give me the lead say here i think the lead say could win inside the distance or by a boring decision just based off of control time uh no, nothing i'm convicted enough to put my money behind don't get me wrong here i could see phil haas just being more active sometimes the gripe i have on the lead say not only is he dropping back for leg locks and doing dumb things like that at times but he admires his work sometimes he'll land like a clean punch and then kind of like smile at the guy and taunt him it's like go in there and you know add some more to that uh you know try to finish the fight I don't know. I just think the size and strength and the anti-wrestling of Delete say is going to be too much for Phil Haas to really handle here. So give me the underdog by uh, just the, the slightest, the slightest of conviction. See, the, the way that I broke down the fight was kind of the same way that you did, but with saying those things about Phil Haas in the sense that like if Delete wants to take a grapple heavy approach, I think he's going to struggle to get the D1 wrestling. Enough, that, yeah. right? Like there's, I think it might end up cashing uh, or sorry, uh, canceling each other out. And then on the feet, I think that Phil Haas, he's starting to get a better striking game. And the fact that he's not just throwing overhand rights anymore, trying to send you to Mars, right? Like the guy is just actually planting, throwing combinations, throwing leg kicks. He seems to be uh, portioning out his gas tank a little bit better than he did prior in his career. But, like, I still need to see more of that before I can truly trust that he's going to go out there and, uh, you know, play a conservative game or try to win minutes here rather than just knock his head's opponent or his opponent's head uh, over to Mars or something like that. So that's my big concern here. I ended up going Phil Hawes. I ended up going Phil Hawes surprisingly by decision as well in terms of just putting together more output, uh, putting together, like, uh, cage work, pushing him up against a cage, being the stronger one. I think he might end up being the stronger one. That's where the big 
a hullabaloo comes, right? Like I, nobody really right. knows yeah. what's going to happen there. I can't I, that's wait to what, see it. That's part of why I'm excited for this fight because it's a big question mark, right? It is a huge question mark. Yeah, exactly. And I'm uh, I'm not so certain that I'm going to go out there and put my money on this matchup in terms of con being convicted on either side. Like both guys have shown flaws to me. Both guys show that, uh, you know, guys can exploit those flaws as well. That's why I have some big question marks. So I am going to lean Hawes. I am not playing him at minus 175. And then the deletes this side, I don't blame anybody taking a shot there. Because one, you are getting plus money. And two, this fight could go any fucking way. I would rather get the more value out of it. You could likely get that from the deletes this side. But as is just straight up prediction, I'm going to go Phil Hawes. If there's, a, if there's a finish, who do you think gets it in this fight? Because we haven't seen deletes say really hurt that much besides a clean right cross from Trevin Giles stumbled him a bit. But <laughs> you haven't really seen him hurt, you know? Uh, the question is, like, how will he react to Phil Hawes' power? Right, like depending on how Hawes seems to throw, where like if he sets up a big strike or he sets up a big head kick and he lands it cleanly, is Roman Delizzi going to eat it like lunch and keep coming forward? I I, I don't know that. Like, right. I I lean Phil Hawes is more likely to get a finish here, uh, with with the exception of unless he blows his gas tank and deletes it, takes advantage later on in this fight. Like that's my big concern. The under, which I honestly haven't even thought about. Uh, that is sitting under two and a half is sitting at minus one twenty five. So like, no, no crazy line there. Uh, given my uh, analysis of the matchup, the over two and a half at minus one oh five, I guess is not that bad. But still, I'm just uh, too many question marks. So let's see the more data that these guys can provide us with the matchup like this. Preferably over fifteen minutes. I would so leave the over more. in this fight. I, I agree with yeah. you on that. Yeah, uh, minus one oh five, not too bad of a line if you feel convicted about it. All right, that is a wrap on the prelims. Can't believe we got through those within 33 minutes here. I'm not used to being in shows like this. Uh, you know, my guy Cody likes to talk a little bit over on uh, propping you up, and we're sitting here for two hours, but it's all good. I like getting through it nice and efficiently. I feel like we're uh, sending our point across pretty good to the viewers as well but shout out to the uh 60 live viewers that we currently have make sure you guys smash that like and subscribe if you haven't already and you guys can follow my guy patrick uh on twitter uh the link is actually in the description below so you guys don't even have to type anything in just click that link hit him with a follow i promise you guys will enjoy everything he brings to your timeline and not to mention he has his own youtube channel as well that you guys can follow addicted to combat it is in the title of the video as well make sure you guys just copy and paste that all over and uh give my man a follow as well all right let's get to this main card uh very excited about this curtain jerker that we got between dustin jacoby who's coming in as a minus 175 favorite now he's going up against kalia roundtree coming in at plus 150 I always love me some Dustin Jacoby, Patrick. The guy goes out there, you know what you're going to get with him. Unless, of course, he has a foot injury like he had against Mihal Oleg Shajak. Almost made me shit a brick because I'm like, why is this guy not throwing any kicks? But luckily, he still goes out there, puts together a solid uh, body of work in rounds two and three, gets his hand raised that night. Um, but... When he does have his kicks, when he can actually utilize those, he does it very well in terms of maintaining his distance, staying active with it from the outside, and then following up with uh, combinations with his hands afterwards. I love everything this guy does. His takedown defense is very much improving. And I think the the time that he's been spending at Factory X now has really shown off uh, You know what, what a guy like Mark Montoya can do with the skill set like Dustin Jacoby's. Um, 
it's crazy. He's on a, uh, let me pull up the number here. I think it's like an eight fight run or eight fight on beaten streak since coming back to MMA. Cause a lot of people know he used to be in the UFC. Then he took a little bit of a hiatus, started just straight up kickboxing, but I believe it is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight fight or eight wins in his last nine fights. And obviously that one outlier is the draw that he had against Iwan Kutilaba. But uh, yeah, I love me some uh, Jacoby in the spot. I think his finesse and his discipline is going to ring supreme here over the power and that brute strength of Khalil Roundtree. Khalil, obviously, at an all-time high in terms of his confidence, stringing together two wins over his last two fights. Um, but, uh, like, he's being very disciplined about it. Let's not let's not get that um, twist or anything like that. But I think he's going to struggle with the puzzle that J- Dustin Jacoby uh has here for him right to just the combination striking the the movement about the cage he's not going to be there to be hit in the pocket i i like a lot of what dustin jacoby does and to me it feels like clear not round treat mainly just has like a knockout or bust type of situation ahead of him here and in those types of situations i like going with the much more disciplined overall fighter which which is dustin jacoby he can win by knockout he can win by decision and that's where I like here. So even at minus 170, which is where I ended up taking the shot, uh, I like him straight up here. I think he continues this run that he's on. And uh, hopefully after this Khalil fight, he gets another top 10 guy because at this point in time, you got to give it to him. He, he very much deserves it. And his time is kind of running out in terms of competing at a high level, right? We're, we're talking about 34 years old. He's on the back end of his prime per se. So let's get him rolling. Hopefully a big win here. He can get him there as well. Let's go Jacoby by uh, decision. What are you thinking here? You think Cleo starts to roll, get a three-fight winning streak going, or does Jacoby uh, go out there and dis- or punch his way to a decision? It'll be uh, Khalil's first like three-fight win streak in the UFC, right? I don't think he's ever broke uh, two fights in a row here, I- and I don't think he does. We're back in the agreement now. Uh, we-, we disagreed <laughs> on the Phil Haas delete say, but we're back on Jacoby. Ever so slightly. I do-, I do have a bet on Jacoby. I like him in this spot. I like his striking. I like his size in this matchup. I like his feints. He'll he'll show the knee uh, and then and then beat you up with the hands and, and vice versa. You know he's got really really nice kicks. Just adds up volume over time and uh, keeps distance very very well, especially with the feints. Um, and I think that's going to do him wonders here. You saw what happened when somebody doesn't maintain distance and Carl Robertson, Khalil Roundtree just oh you know God. beat Dust the piss it. out of him. You know especially the fastest start to round two you've ever seen. He hit him with like every limb, every elbow, every knee, a body kick on the way down. You know knee to the head and just destroyed Carl Robertson. Uh, and he didn't even know what happened to him. So I don't see that happening to Jacoby. You've never seen anybody do that to Jacoby, right? He's lost to King Mo Lawal. I think it was ground and pound. And then Way back. Uh, Alex Pajeda, you know, as well in kickboxing. Yeah. So that's about it. Otherwise, he just, again, through s- slick movement, good defense, he's, uh, you know, able to – and he can bait guys in too. He'll drop his hands like you saw against Dao Jung, work the pull counters, and it paid off for him that night. Um, a little bit of a weird stoppage on that fight as well, but um, it wasn't protested. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't protested either. I was on Dawoon Jung. I, I believe yeah. they stopped that win streak. But um, yeah, I like Jacoby in this spot. If nothing else, uh, I think he just gets a decision here, just through more volume and output. Right, uh, Khalil Roundtree. You can have the the version of him that came out in March against uh, uh, Robertson, or you can have the guy against Marcin Prakniao, who really just stands there and stares, you know, uh, and does nothing. So. The fight, remember that fight? I'm still scarred oh, yeah. by that where everybody thought the under one and a half or the fight doesn't go was like the head. This guy right here. 
I yeah. lost a fuck ton of money that oh, day God. because I'm like, okay, either Khalil knocks him out or he gets knocked out. So this is not going to a decision. I tied that fight doesn't go to a decision to way too much. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that was not a good look at all. I think it was UFC 254, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was one of those uh, Connor and uh, Poirier undercards oh, there. Okay. Yeah, that was yeah, so. that was not nice. Give me Jacoby very confidently here. I, I think he gets it done. I don't see a spot where he gets manhandled. And though, and the one spot where uh, Jacoby, you know, screwed up right that draw against Ian Kutalaba, he got out wrestled, you oh, know, yeah. dominantly in round one. I don't see that game plan being employed by Roundtree here. So give me Jacoby. I like it. I like it. We are back on the same page here. Let's see if that continues with our next matchup. We're going to be going with. Uh, to Sean Gore going up against Josh Fremd in terms of odds. We got minus 155 on the Factory X product, Josh Fremd, and plus 135 on the newly minted member of Fortis MMA. Patrick, I'll let you kick this one off, my guy. What are you thinking here? You think Trishan Gore finally gets his hand raised in the UFC, or will he get spent, sent packing? Because this will likely be his pink slip fight if he can't get his hand raised. I'm going to be honest with you, man. This is my least confident pick of the entire card, to be honest. Um, you know, I, and which is odd, right? Because you think. Josh Fremd seems to be the more well-rounded guy. He seems to have more striking output. And that's how I ultimately think Fremd wins this fight, uh, is by just striking output. Maybe can put uh, Treshawn Gore away. Based on that last fight, it seems like Treshawn Gore has got maybe some durability issues. I'm not sure. Cody Brundage, you know, hit him with something that didn't appear from, you know, the audience's eye to be that that tough. And even some follow-up grounded pound shots that didn't seem like the hardest ones in the world. And Treshawn Gore was asleep a couple of times, so... Um, it's just the fact that there's a few things I don't like from Treshawn Gore, right? It's He kind of waits instead of countering. You watched that fight with Brian Battle earlier this year, and you see him kind of wait for Brian Battle to finish like a, a six-piece sequence, end with a leg kick, and then Treshawn Gore is like, oh, okay, you're done. I'll, I'll start fighting now and maybe, you know, throw a couple punches. So I don't like that at all. I want him to be more aggressive in this fight. Maybe we saw a glimpse of that against Cody Brundage, but we, you know, couldn't see the full performance from Gore. I, I don't know. So that's why I'm a little bit, you know, on both sides of this one. What I don't like from Fremd is his tall man defense is so bad, and he's just asking to get that big overhand right or that left hook, which are two really good weapons for Treshawn Gore. I could see him getting a knockout. So if there was a prop for this one, it would be fight doesn't go or that Treshawn Gore knockout. But I got to take Fremd to just do more work over time and win this bout. Yeah, I was on the Gore side in that Cody Brundage fight. And after seeing him defend the takedowns of Brundage, I'm like, okay, baby, let's go. Let's get this knockout. And then it comes from the other party. And that kind of deflated me that night. And I was surprised. It seemed as though it was like a shot that he didn't even see coming. Like it was one of those shots. Like it came over his guard and hit his chin. And he's just like, oh, shit. I guess I'm going down right now. And then he ended up uh, obviously getting knocked out. Yeah, it looked like his, his heels he clicked together and he went down. <laughs> yeah, know? it was weird. It was very, very weird for sure. But um, I feel like this is one of those irresponsible spots where I, I am forcing myself to pull the trigger on Trishan Gore. Like, I feel like okay. he has good enough takedown defense that if Fremd, like you said, who is the more complete fighter, he can take it to the ground if he needs to. I think he's going to struggle to, should he take that path? But even on the feet, like, I I don't like the tall man defense. If Gore can kind of uh, blitz through that and he'll have the speed advantage in this fight, that's one of his best attributes. I think he can land on the chin of Fremd here and put him out. The fact that we can get around plus 300, on Gore by KO, I think is crazy. So I think that's a good enough little sprinkle there. But the way that I 
the way that I went about it is I, I took the shot on Gore straight up money line. I think I got plus one forty ish, plus one forty five. Okay. Uh, but I also took the under two and a half, just as kind of an insurance spot, right? Should he get knocked out, this bet completely cancels it cancels itself out. Or if Gore is the one that actually ends up getting the knockout, I cash on both of my tickets there. Um, Fremd KO is absolutely live. Like the guy has some decent enough power. Gore, if he truly does have durability issues, it's not the greatest that he's coming back only three months after he's, you know, he got separated separated from his consciousness. That that under is kind of my insurance play here. But I do think that Gore can keep this in his realm. I think he can keep it striking. And I'm hoping under the general safe Sayud, he'll they'll be able to put together a solid enough game plan to beat a guy like Josh Friend to utilize uh, Gore's talents and physical abilities to the best that he can. And I think that a guy like Safe Sayud could definitely bring it out of him. So interested to see any type of evolution that we might see from Gore. Maybe it was a bit of a humbling experience to get knocked out the way that he did. Let's see, see how he comes back and, and um, bounces back from that. But you know, again, I took Gore, Gore by knockout, but the under two and a half is my safety net, essentially, if Frem does knock, uh, knock him out, which I think is absolutely possible here. Wait, so, did you say that was a recent camp move in between uh, the Brundage fight and this one yeah. for Trayshawn Gore? Oh, okay. He's, that's he's a spent, big, yeah, he, that's he a, spent big, uh, a little bit of time. It's a big piece of information, to be honest, because it looks like Gore has all of the tools, the power, yeah. the athleticism, and just the, you know, he, he seems to have the fundamental, like, striking to do it. He just needs to learn how to time these things, put it together, um, you know, read things on tape. And under a good coach, I could see that happening for sure. The outcome for this fight that I can see in my mind played out is Trey Shine Gore flatlining Josh Fremd here with, like, an overhand right or a, a 2-3 counter. But... Again, on paper, when I'm looking at it, it seems like a puncher's chance to me. You know, it seems like he wouldn't win a decision. So I got to go with the guy, the, you know, not the puncher's chance is usually how I do these things. But that is a good piece of information, keeping tabs on where his camp is going to. He's taking things seriously, going to a high-level coach like that. I like it. Apparently, he's sleeping on Kennedy and Zetchuku's couch uh, in preparation of this matchup. So let's see if that dedication for him. I think he left back, uh, left behind his wife and his kid or something like that. But oh, yeah. um, he's got to leave him behind. He's, he's going to yeah. be the double champion. Of course, yeah. he's going to leave him behind. <laughs> Dog. I remember when he first said that uh, before the Brian Battle yeah. fight. I bet Brian Battle for that night, and I was able to cash that ticket. But when I heard him say the double champ thing, I'm like, this guy needs some humbling. He, you have four fights, Doug. You got four fights. Let's not talk about double champs. Hey, man, even, even Daniel Cormier lost the fight before he became champ champ. All right? It could be done. It could be done. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see what Trishan girl. Hopefully, he starts off that path to the double champ status with the bang here by getting that win over Josh Frem tomorrow night. But we'll see how it plays out. All right, let's get to this next matchup. We got heavyweights going at it here. Recent contender series signee waldo cortez acosta comes in at minus 195 plus 165 on jared vander who's probably in a pink slip fight here should he get the should he lose this fight it would be his fifth loss in a row you would believe the ufc will likely get rid of him if that ends up being the case uh watching these guys stare down man you really see how big of a man waldo cortez acosta is as well that guy is a big dude and watching majority of his fights like not just his contender series fight but watching all of his other fights he doesn't really fight like a heavyweight right like he moves well he throws in combinations he mixes in the clinch and takedowns when when he sees fit and he has solid enough cardio to do it over 15 minutes if he needs to and i feel like this is one of those spots where like both guys are going to kind of feel each other out on the feet a bit we likely will get uh, some uh, work up against the cage, um, which is where I'm starting to lean on the over here. Uh, the over one and a half currently sits 
at minus 145, minus 130. I haven't bet it myself yet. I think that likely would be the you know the, the best number at this point that I'll end up getting. People love betting those over one and a, over one and a half in like Jared Vandera fights, Josh Parisian fights, Chase Sherman fights. And I think that this is one of those spots where we can kind of do the same thing. Uh, I do like Waldo's skill set a little bit more, right? Jared Vandera, when he's at his best, he can put his combinations together, footwork and output, and he can get his hand raised. That's like the Justin Toffa fight, which so happens to be the last fight that he's actually won. Right, that that was five fights ago now. Um, but I I just don't think that Waldo Cortez Acosta will allow him to get away with that. Right, if Vander is getting a little bit too comfortable on the feet, I think he'll tie him up, push him up against the cage, try to slow him down, dirty boxing, dirty clinch work, uh, and then get back out into space again and try to get his own groove going as well. Um, I, I like Waldo. Um, Waldo by decision, I think was around plus 300 plus 400, which I don't think is a bad line either, uh, worth a shot there, but the over one and a half is likely where I'll be putting the majority of my money. Uh, I get it. Waldo Acosta looks good as a prospect, but we need to see him continue to go out there and fight some solid dudes. And I think Jared Vander is a good litmus test for him to see how he stands, uh, going up against UFC competition. Should he pass us with flying colors? I'll have a little bit more comfort and, uh, in terms of backing him with my hard earned money. Um, or um, this over one and a half caches, and Jared Vandera is the one who ends up getting his hand uh, raised here, and we dodge that minus 195 chalk on the Waldo Cortez Acosta side. But uh, I'll go over one and a half, uh, but I do think that Waldo ends up getting his hand raised here. Well, what do you think here, Patrick? You think Waldo gets it done, or does Jared save his UFC career with a much-needed win? Yeah, I don't think that's going to be saved. Um, you know, Vandera's got... Yeah, the Justin Taffel fight, it's hard to believe that was so many fights ago, right? right. Um, it's gone horribly downhill, partially because Jared Vendera is just game to accept all of these opponents, taking Romanov, you know, uh, Arlovsky, trying to grapple with Olenek. Some of these, like, fight IQ mid-round decisions are just not the greatest for Vandera. I like uh, Waldo Acosta. Like you said, he's a very big guy and doesn't seem to – he seems to be more of the natural heavyweight out of the two. I know Vandera is a tall guy, and it would be hard for him to make that 205 cut, but – yeah, Waldo is a big boy, and he's got uh, some power that I like early and late. You see um, a couple of round three finishes from Acosta, at least that one that was before the Contender Series, where even if he's fatigued, he can work through that fatigue very well. I don't see that same hand speed from Vandera later in the fight. In a round three, Vandera is open to getting a hit, even from Chase Sherman, who seems to have six minutes of cardio, was able to get a round <laughs> three knockout on Vandera's and piece him up. Uh, that's just that is not that's like the last thing that I want to see from somebody is they're getting finished in round three by Chase Sherman. Uh, I think the plus 150 for Acosta by knockout um, is something to look at here. The late round props for knockout for Acosta are good here. And, you know, on paper, the only thing that Vendera has got left, right, is his, uh, his BJJ credentials, but he never seems to use it. So uh, like like you, I think there's going to be a lot of cage pushing some some clinch matches there, which I've seen Waldo. Um, which fight was that the one against Thomas Peterson? He was losing some of those clinch battles, uh, getting taken down quite a bit. Luckily, that's not Jared Vendera's MO, so I don't see it happening. Um, and even still, you know, Waldo Cortez Acosta was able to get back to his feet pretty urgently. Never accepted bottom position and, and got the, the late knockout there. So give me Acosta. I think he does finish this fight. But uh, again, if, if Vendera is able to stay defensively sound in round three in this fight, this could go to decision. Either way, I think you're over one and a half is a great play. As we've seen, Jared Bandera, five out of his six fights so far have been over one and a half, even at heavyweight. So give me a Costa. I'm pretty confident in him. 
Yeah, I, I hope he gets his hand raised as well. And of note, uh, something to touch on here for Vandera, uh, training at Kings MMA for this uh, for this training camp. So uh, maybe trying to, like I said, trying to make that late career push once again, try to save his UFC career. Let's see if this change gets it done for him. Unfortunately, also a note on Vandera. Also a note for Vandera, he shaved the mustache off. So no more creepy mustache uh, for Vandera. We saw that the way in. So is that a positive a or a negative? What yeah, is if you're a Vandera backer, that's a positive, I think. There we go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, let's get to this next matchup. It is the co-main event, which takes place in the welterweight division. We got Tim Dirty Bird Means coming in as a plus 160 dog, going up against Max Payne Griffin, who comes in as a minus 190 favorite. I'm going to let you kick this one off, Patrick. What do you think here between these two welterweights? Max Griffin is actually one of my more confident picks this week, and I do like him to finish this fight. Um, some of the inside the distance, even the scorecards, no action for Max Griffin. I do like I've seen that. Uh, I think I saw that somewhere around like minus 190 or so for, you know, if it goes to the scorecards and, you know, it's a close, gritty match where Tim Means got some dirty boxing going. He was able to, you know, give a veteran lesson to Max Griffin, make it closer. You get your money back. But if Max Griffin exploits the old man, you know, sort of failing durability of Tim Means that we've seen, then he can cash that at minus 190, not too far off of the money line. So I like that play. Um, but Max Griffin, I just think it's going to be more complete here. This is a very big step down in competition from what he just faced in Neil Magny. And he was close to winning that fight. You see power in the hands of Max Griffin, who doesn't have a whole lot of finishes, but, um, you know, knocked down uh, Neil Magny in the first round of that fight. Almost got him out of there, you know, and then made it very close. And he was able to show that he's defensively sound against uh, the skill set of Tim Means. You know, he was able to circle off of the cage at times from Neil Magny. Uh, ultimately, Magny did have some back control time uh, and was able to edge out a close decision that way. I just don't see Tim Means uh, as able to do that anymore tim means is a very free-flowing good combinations with his hands you know some some unorthodox striking that comes from weird angles and but he used to tout his toughness as a way to win these fights you see him getting club in subs now a couple of times um and just getting hurt on the feet i think tim means would have to really close the distance clinch up and work dirty boxing for the majority of this fight to win i don't see it happening i think i think uh, max griffin's able to yeah pro probably put a beat down on him maybe even in the first round so Give me uh, Max Griffin, one of my more confident picks of this fight uh, fight card. Yeah, similar to Andre Olovsky, whenever I see a decent plus number beside Tim Means' name, my my eyes brighten yeah, up a little bit. He could make it close. Yeah, he could definitely make it close. Like we saw in the second round of the Carlos Condit fight with Max Griffin, that when guys can establish that combination striking and kind of establish their control of the cage, uh, Max Griffin can falter at some points. But I think you touched on it. I think the, the best thing about this for Max Griffin is the deteriorating durability of, of, of means, right? Even the speed is really starting to slow down now. You can see guys getting to his chin a lot quicker than they used to. Um, Tim almost used to rely on that durability to get most of his game off in the past, but I think that's very much failing him at this point. And even though Max Griffin is only a year younger than him, it's... It's it's the the fight miles right like Max Griffin has been in a couple wars but Tim Means has been in all the wars essentially right like this it's guy, so weird that they're not that far apart in age because it yeah. seems like they, there's at least five years separating them exactly you'd expect Max Griffin to be the much younger guy here but the guy's been around for a while maybe just not competing as uh, enough as much as uh, Tim Means has uh, but yeah I, I agree with you I think the speed the athleticism and the power of Max Griffin will likely come through here now that that's funny to say because Max Griffin used to be a decision guy. That's what we used to rely on him. But now uh, two out of his last three wins have come via finish. Um, and, and he's really like 
sitting down on his punches. He's really believing in that uh, that power that he holds. And I feel like if he brings that confidence into this matchup, he will find that chin of uh, Tim Means and put him down here. So, yeah, I, I do lean the Griffin side here as well. I haven't made a bet on it. What I'm thinking of taking is the KO line. Um, that currently now sits at uh, plus 250. I don't mind that, man. I, I really think he can find the chin of uh, Means here put him down, get a win, get back into the winner's uh, circle. Like, he was on a 3 fight winning streak prior to that loss to Neil Magny. And that was a close fight. Like, he hurt him early. I was big on Neil Magny that night. Same. Yeah. And, and, we and we got surprised. away with one there. I mean, yeah. I think Magny probably won, but it was very close. You know, Way sometimes closer. when these... Sometimes when these fights are, uh, people forget and they want to cry robbery about certain things, especially last week. But when you really get down to the nitty gritty of how the documents state how to score perceived damage, it is a yeah. very subjective thing when it's a split decision. So uh, we're just happy to always make it out on the, the positive side of that one. Yeah, maybe hindsight, maybe not as good of a bet as we initially thought because of right. how close the fight played out and the fact that we're taking chalk there. But, you know, pre-fight, Neil Magny is always a very tough puzzle for a lot, a lot of people to solve. We'll, we'll see that next week as well when he takes on Daniel Rodriguez. So we'll see how Rod Rodriguez I'm so glad they rebooked that. that one. Me too. Me too. Absolutely. Um, uh, but yeah, we're both on the Max Griffin side here. Seems like Patrick a little bit more confident than myself, but I still do like uh, the Griffin side here to go out there and get that finish all right that is gonna bring us right to the main event but before we do shout out to all you guys in the chat already make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe if you haven't already and follow my guy patrick as well at combat addict one on twitter also you can just click the link in the description below and you can go right to his page and hit that follow so show my guy some love all right let's talk about this main event patrick and i'll kick it off since it is obviously my turn. We got a featherweight matchup here. Both guys, the first two guys on the scales this morning, like some goddamn professionals making weight without much issue at all. Uh, the line now currently sits at minus 105 for Calvin Cater or at minus 115 for Arnold Allen. For the sake of the show, let's just call it a pick a matchup because this line has been bouncing up and down all week. I remember seeing Calvin Cater minus 127. I remember seeing Calvin Cater plus 110. Now I'm seeing minus 110, minus 105. So no matter what side you're picking here, if you feel good enough about it, you're getting a damn good line to try to back your uh, your fighter here. And the side that I'm going to be going with is the guy that has the five-round experience, the guy that has the volume and output advantage, the guy that has the durability advantage as well. I like me some Calvin Cater in this spot. I think that this is a perfect matchup for him to go out there and bounce back off that close decision loss that he had against uh, Josh Emmett back in June. Uh, but it's all because Arnold Allen really just doesn't do much. Like he's just beating most of his opponents. Yes, if you watched his last fight against Daniel Hooker, you'll be like, man, Preet, the fuck you talking about? You just starched a dude in two minutes, not even two minutes. A guy of Dan Hooker's caliber, but me even with money on Daniel Hooker that night and a lot of the other people watching from the outside could see how compromised Dan Hooker was going into that matchup. Of course, the guy will look that way and Arnold Allen probably looks over at his coaches and be like, we should just rush this guy, right? Like, if we just rush him, put big punches on him, one of them is probably going to drop him. One of them is probably going to compromise him. Let's try to get him out of there. And that's exactly what they're able to do. Go back and watch all the other... Arnold Allen fights. He does not come out like that. He does not normally fight like that. That was a one-time exception. 
I'd be surprised if he tries to do that here against Calvin Cater, who will likely meet him with some well-timed counters and some good footwork, uh, some nasty elbows as well, just like he caught Jeremy Stevens during the, I think it was like the first event back from COVID where we just sliced him up with a nasty elbow. Um, I think this is a great matchup for Gator. Like unless his durability has completely diminished, he should be able to eat a couple shots, which are inevitably inevitably going to land. But I think that he can keep this in his realm, whether it's, you know, being sound with his defensive grappling or sound with the striking defense where he can just stay on the outside and pick apart Arnold Allen. Um, I'm going Cater, Cater by decision, maybe around four or five decision if you have access to one of those types of props. Um, I just don't really see what Allen brings to the table that Cater has to worry about so much. Yeah, he barely fights, and I don't even mean that like his inactivity in terms of in terms of stepping into the cage. But even when he fights, like when I was doing the show at uh, Cody last night, the the propping you up show, he was just going through the statistics of uh, the total significant strikes that Arnold Allen has landed throughout his career. The only anomaly is the Gilbert Melendez fight, but Gilbert Melendez was an old broken man by then, and he outstruck him by nearly a hundred significant strikes. But every other fight. He's barely cracking 40 significant strikes. And now he has two extra rounds. He might crack 50, Patrick. But still, I think he's going to get outstruck here but by the far superior striker. Give me Calvin Cater. Let's fucking go. What are you thinking here? Not even is it Arnold Allen, you know, not having that much striking output on the metrics, but sometimes he's having to work his way back into the fight and all of the bulk of those strikes are like in the last part of the fight, you know, um, yeah. getting some some clean, decisive victories over like uh, like the Sadiq Yusuf one was very nice, but he's defining the round with these knockdowns, you know what I mean? So he's stealing the round with these big moments. You're going to be hard-pressed to steal around uh, from Kelvin Cater with a big moment. Obviously, Josh Emmett was able to figure that out in a very close fight. You know, he was able to rally towards the end of some of those rounds, right, and uh, and show something to the judges, uh, stamp that uh, seal of approval for the round on their scorecards. But uh, I don't see Arnold Allen with that because Josh Emmett was in the face of Kelvin Cater every step of the way, not giving him room to breathe. I don't see Allen fighting that way. Um, I like Calvin Cater as well in this spot. I am on him at plus 100 to get even money on a main event spot with – you know, this is going to be his sixth main event spot for Calvin Cater, his uh, his fifth main, uh, like five round fight too. So, all of the experience, all of the activity that you touched on, Arnold Allen only fighting like once a year at this point. Which, you know, I get it if you're just getting started, you want to train in between. But this now it's just getting ridiculous. Like you need to be taking advantage of the the prime of your career at featherweight. I like Calvin Cater's striking in this fight too. Technically, I think he makes better mid round adjustments. He, he really does well with like fainting and, uh, you know, setting up traps uh, in the middle of his combinations and, and especially that nice uppercut. You can sneak through the guard. I like your your four or five decision. Did you mention that one? That's around yeah. plus 175, plus 200. I like that. I like the overs in this fight, the alternate overs of over two and a half, over three and a half. I think those do hit as well. And then we'll see what Arnold Allen's made of with his cardio as well. I think there's nothing to indicate he shouldn't be okay, but... If he has to answer all of the strikes that Calvin Cater's going to throw, man, he's going to he's going to set a new high score of significant strikes. And then then what does his cardio look like? So, uh, I have Cater uh, parlayed with the very first fight of the night, uh, Christian Rodriguez, and then that plus one hundred on Calvin Cater for like plus one fifty six odds. That's my first parlay of the night, and uh, I'm actually going kind of parlay heavy on this card. To be honest with you, I didn't want a whole lot of action, uh, even though we're giving out some very good information here and some some confident leans. Uh, I, I'm going to, you know, take the sketchy card and get even sketchier with it. I've parlayed <laughs> a lot of these spots together and uh, we'll just have some fun with this card. So Calvin Cater and Christian Rodriguez, that is uh, my, my leading parlay. So let's do it. 
I love it. I love it. And there you guys go. We got the full card breakdown for UFC Vegas 63. Uh, we'll roll right into our lock of the night plays or our most confident plays on the card. I'm not sure if Patrick wants to go with that parlay to share for his main one. I'll kick it off here. I'm going to go with uh, Junyoung Park straight up. I got minus 225. I went five units deep. I think he's just a far superior fighter uh, against Joseph Holmes. Of course, Joseph has early finishing upside but outside of that i think we'll see park uh, survive that uh drag this into deep waters and possibly finish holmes in the second maybe early third round as well patrick what would you give as your most confident play on the card for the viewers here yeah that's the one i think it's that main event spot parlayed with uh, christian rodriguez um if you just want a single one i do like the one that we talked about in the co-main event i like the scorecards equal no action for max griffin to get this done inside the distance if uh, Tim Dirty Bird Means has a veteran lesson up his sleeve and he goes to the <laughs> scorecards, you get your money back. So I like that play because Max Griffin's durability, um, you know, has held up pretty good. Only finished one time by Colby Covington a long time ago. Uh, TKO stoppage there. So I think Max Griffin holds up in this spot. He looks like the fresher guy and uh, he either gets this done inside the distance or uh, I don't think he's losing, um, you know, by finish here. I like it. I like it. All right, Patrick, I'm going to give you the platform one last time if you want to plug anything for the fans and the viewers to follow you on, to subscribe, to whatever the hell. Where can they find you? What do you want to plug? Let them know right now. Yeah, man, thanks for having me on, man, Preet. It's been a pleasure to finally uh, talk fights with you, break down a card, and hopefully we'll do it again in the future. i got to have you on my channel. So everybody watching, my name is Patrick. I run a YouTube called Addicted to Combat. Search it up. Give me a follow. Uh, we were talking backstage before the fights. Uh, I've been a lifelong fan of this sport, and this is all I watch. I don't know the rules to any other sport besides mixed martial arts and combat sports, quite literally. So takes up 100% of my time. I break down fights every week and do a weekly live stream on Wednesdays. And you can follow me on Twitter at Combat Addict one Let's talk some fights. There you guys go. And don't forget, the two in Addicted to Combat is the number two, not T-O. So don't get it twisted with something else and uh, go follow somebody else. Make sure you guys follow my guy, Patrick. Patrick, it was a pleasure to have you on, Appreciate my friend. You. Great chemistry. We were nice and efficient with the fights as well. I always love that as well. Um, and then, yes, whenever you want to throw me onto your channel, just shoot up the lock signal. I'll be sure to answer that and uh, we can jump on your show as well. Uh, on behalf of myself and Patrick, we appreciate you guys hanging with us on this Friday afternoon. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the show. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe if you haven't already. Follow my guy Patrick on Twitter as well. I will be back tomorrow for the Fight Day live chat at 1 p.m. Eastern right here right on this channel so make sure you guys come through and hit me with any of your last minute questions comments or concerns in regards to the fights i'll also drop my totals parlay for you guys as well that night or on that stream so make sure you guys come through for that and uh otherwise good luck on all your bets and i'll see you again next week as we break down marina rodriguez against amanda lemos in the ufc vegas 64 headliner Ooh, excuse me as well as the rest of the fights on that card as well all right, good luck on your bets, folks. We'll see you next week. Peace. Cheers.